All righty, yeah, amen. The worship was awesome too, wasn't it? Yeah. The Lord's good, isn't he? Yeah, all the time. Come on. Yeah, every day, yeah. Amen. All righty. So, you know, uh, um, if you hang around real prophetic people a lot, some of them have this thing they do every year. Like, well, Bob Jones did it when he was still alive. I think Bobby Connor does. A bunch of guys actually do it. Is on the Day of Atonement, they feel like the Lord wants to really give them something specific for the year. And, uh, well, this is what I was doing on the Day of Atonement. I was in another town in a motel room uh, having arguments with Becky. <laughs> you know, so my day of atonement wasn't really spiritual. You know, and I said, but I remember, like, man, the, I might, the Lord still might want to speak to me, even though I'm not being a, really a nice person in Becky's eyes. I thought I was being nice, but she didn't. You know, anyways, I think we had five arguments in two days, <laughs> and I lost every one of them. <laughs> anyways. <laughs> The Lord did speak to me. He gave me two words, okay? And uh, and I was really not even trying to get the Lord to speak to me. I was just trying to not have any more arguments. <laughs> I just couldn't not be telling that story to me out of the <laughs> That's the only way I was going to tell that story. <laughs> Anyways, he, this is what he told me. Uh, abundance of grace. That's what he had for us. Abundance of grace. That's what our future is, is an abundance of grace. And I believe that really is. God really wants us to tap into, into that. And then he gave me the second word, which was not as a fun as a word. It's jur- juggernaut. Do y'all, anybody knows what a juggernaut is? It's, a, it's not a good thing. I, I actually was going to read the definition to you of what a juggernaut, because I didn't really know the real definition. I knew it was, it was like a, it wasn't necessarily something... A juggernaut is a huge, powerful, and overwhelming force or institution. A huge, powerful, overwhelming force or institution. A steamroller is a picture of a juggernaut. It's just something that just steamrolls. And the word actually can't comes from a, uh, there was an emperor or a king or some priest in India in the 1700s. And he had this big old cart that he would ride, and his name was sort of from the juggernaut thing, and he would ride on this cart, and it was a, it was a huge thing, and it would actually kill some of his devotees. People who followed him would get crushed under the wheels, and, um, and that's how the word came into being. Anything like that that just, you know, just steamrolled through and, and crushed everything in its path, and, you know... I think the Lord was saying that that's you know sort of the time we're living in. We, we're starting to we see a lot of things like this across our land and across the nations, like a juggernaut of evil. But the Lord is saying there's an abundance of grace. You know that's what the Lord's saying is that's His answer for all of this is His grace. You know where evil what does Paul say where there's where evil increases grace much more. You know, and so I believe that's that's the word of the Lord for us is is not to be don't over you know don't be overcome with evil but overcome evil with good, and I believe the Lord has given us His goodness and wants uh, that to be the thing in our heart, not the thing not being consumed by the the evil in the world. That's a good word, isn't it? Yeah. 
I think, anyways. So, yeah, amen. Thank you, Lord. So I wanted to talk to you just a little bit. Um, and it, I want to tell you this. In, in the New Testament, there are two kinds of righteous people. Okay? One is named Lot, and one is named Abraham. And those are pictures of who we are as Christians. We can be a righteous person like Lot, or we can be a righteous person like Abraham. And so, but before I, I want to read a couple of scriptures and then make a few comments. But before I tell you this, is remember what righteousness means. Righteousness doesn't mean actions. Righteousness means right relationship with the Lord. That's what it means. It has nothing to do with our performance, good or bad. Okay, the Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, that Christ has put us in right relationship with the Lord. We are righteous in Christ. We have a right relationship from God's perspective. We have, we're in right relationship with God. Okay, and so that's what it means. I just want to remind us of that. And over the past few years, there's been a lot of revelation released on righteousness, I think, to the body of Christ, that God is is trying to convince the people of God that you're righteous. Okay? He really is trying to get us to, to see that you, no matter what you do, if you are in Christ, you are a righteous person in terms of how God looks at you. Are y'all following that? And so, and that's important because it gets us out of trying to be righteous. It gets us out of striving to please God. In other words, we don't try to make God happy. We come from a place that God's already happy that God's already pleased with us. We don't have to do something. He's already done that for us. That's important to know. If you don't know that, then you're going to be messed up as a Christian. You're going to be striving to get God happy, trying to get something you already have. And that's futility. It's like praying for the Messiah to come, and He's already come. That's the most futile prayer in the world, that those guys beating their heads against the wall in Israel, praying that the Messiah would come. He's already come. You don't need to pray that prayer no more. You just need to receive Him. And so we don't need to pray that God would do something to make us righteous. We need to receive the thing that He's already done. By faith we receive that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so from God's perspective, when He looks at you and I, he sees us as being righteous because we're in Christ. And so we begin to believe that, and that can begin to have a radical effect on our lives, especially when it comes to relating to the Lord. We can go before the throne of grace with boldness. We don't have to hold back. We don't have to feel ashamed. We don't have to feel rejected. But, and I will say this, this is a... a Aside to that, there's our side to being righteous that we, that we need to, to hear. I wanted to read this, uh, say, Peter 2, 4 through 9. Has everybody got the righteous thing? Hey, you know, a lot of people went on the, the camping trip. I bet they froze to death last night. <laughs> it was cold, 36 degrees. It was probably even more that up there where they were. But Lord bless them. It says, if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. That's pretty rough, right? 
and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Boy, that was a rough day, wasn't it? A rough 40 days. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemning them in destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot. There it is. That's the New Testament. Delivered righteous Lot. That's the testimony. I think that may be the last thing the Bible says about Lot. Righteous Lot. It called him a righteous Lot. Delivered righteous Lot. That's powerful. Who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Listen to this. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul. That's the third time it uses that word righteous. Tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under the punishment for the day of judgment. That's powerful, isn't it? So, here's, here's what we've got to really, I think, we need to think about. Is one, Lot... Even though he was righteous from God's perspective, Lot did some unrighteous things. Lot did not live a righteous lifestyle. Even though the Lord declared him to be righteous, he, he made some mistakes, he made some choices in his life that cost him dearly. It cost him his family. His wife turned into a pillow of salt, died instantly. Okay, because of choices that Lot made. And, of course, she made a bad decision by disobeying the Lord. And his, he had two daughters. And because Lot took his family and allowed them to live in a, such a terrible place, it defiled his daughters' hearts. They were married. They lost their husbands. They married men from this filthy place. And... When they came out of this filthy place, just Lot and his two daughters, his daughters were so perverse in their thinking that they would do anything to have children and they got Lot drunk and had intimate relationships with him. Both of them did that. And two nations were born, the nation of Moab and the nation of Ammon, which today is the nation of Jordan. If you didn't know that, that's where those people wound up. It was, you know, it was a different thing. And those were the two of the most perverse peoples that lived in that, sexually perverse people that lived in that period of history. I mean, they were just messed up. And this all came because a righteous man made some unrighteous choices in his life. And it cost him everything. And so I think really one of the things we need to see, we need to believe with all our hearts that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As far as God is concerned, we are in right relationship with Him. But for a lot of believers, we're not in right relationship from our end with God. And see, that was the thing with Lot. Although God was right with him, as far as, but he was not right with God. Okay? Lot was not right with God. And because he wasn't, even though he was righteous, it caused him to think wrongly. 
and make choices that ultimately destroyed his family. And his legacy, even though the New Testament calls him a righteous man, his legacy, when you look back, you don't see a good legacy. You, you hear what I'm saying to you? And so this is really important for us to understand. This is one of the reasons this is being brought out to us in the New Testament. To get us to thinking that, yeah, we're righteous. That's awesome. But there's something for us, you know, on our end as far as our relationship with the Lord. It said that Lot, now this is really key for us. Are you all following this? Uh, it says in verse 8, That righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul. That word torment, other translates, means oppressed, vexed. The picture is of being in a storm. That's what the picture is. You're going in, into a storm and you're going against this storm. This storm or this storm is going against you. Pushing against you. That's what it means. So his soul was being opposed. That's what it says. His soul was being attacked. Okay, because he was living in this environment that was constantly going against the realm of his soul and tearing his soul down. That's what was happening. His soul was getting tore down. It was getting tore down by the environment he was in. It says, it says this. It says, somewhere, where is it? Seeing and hearing. Seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Seeing and hearing. Now, on one extreme, you know, on one extreme, a bad extreme, you could say whatever you're looking at. If you're looking at bad things, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, bad things. Or hearing bad stuff. See, that's what was going on with Lot. It was a very perverted society. And all that stuff was going on around him. So bad, just in case you didn't know that. So bad when these angels came to get him. These angels showed up looking like men. These men that lived in the city went to Saul. I mean, went to Lot and said, we want to get those men so we can have sexual relationships. They were angels, though. That's how perverse. And he said, don't do it. He, would, he knew. No, you're crazy. Here, take my daughters. He offered his daughters because he knew you're messing with something you don't want to mess with. That's how messed up that world was. And see, we live in a perverse society in that terms. We live in a filthy society in terms of, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mainly, you know, the internet's really, you know, can really be really bad. But television, and I'm never the kind of person that's going to preach against TV or preach against what movies you watch. But I'll tell you something. This right here says something. It says what we watch and what we listen to is going to go after your soul. So you can come and worship the Lord and pray in tongues and your soul can be built up and look at television shows or, or movies or stuff or worse. And what God had just built up, the enemy goes after to tear down. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm sure you do. It's, you know? And I think that's really one of the things that God wants us to get this morning is about what are we allowing our eyes to look at or our ears to hear? 
on that level. But there's another level. There's a whole other level. It's called the nightly news. The nightly news of the gloom and doom that's going on everywhere. ISIS is, you know, wiping people out, showing videos of people. See, we can consume ourselves with those thoughts. Oh, you know, you can listen to some of these so-called Christian, this is my soapbox, Christian people who talk and make all these statements about the government and all that. And it's, if you ever listen to some of that, it'll just tear you down. It'll, it'll, you'll ca- it'll cause you to lose hope. You see what I'm saying? It's not just perverse stuff that we listen to and put our eyes on. It's other things. Now, am I saying that we stick our heads in the ground and ignore? No, I'm not saying that. I mean, we need to be aware of what's happening in our world. Okay? But if that becomes a focus of ours, if we begin to get consumed by these things, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be consumed by that because the Bible tells us something else. The Bible says this, if you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Now that's what the Bible says. See, the Bible has given us answers on how to live in this earth and not be destroyed by what's happening in this earth. Because God has not take, chosen to take us out of a wicked society. He left us in a wicked society to be salt and light, to be revelation. And He's given us a way to live in this society without those things destroying us and taking us down and messing us up and causing us to be depressed and causing us to tap, tap into that spirit of fear that's all over the place. Have you all noticed that? It's everywhere. And so God's given us a way to do that. And one of them is, is where you, what you set your mind on, where you put your thoughts. That's really what the Bible, that's the Bible's answer. Actually, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, he didn't lose hope because he saw the invisible. That was his answer for, for not being hopeless, is he tapped into an invisible world. Are y'all Okay. Here's this one scripture I want to give you just in case you didn't know about it. Most people do these days. It's 1 Chronicles 12.32. It says, Of the sons of Issachar who had understanding the times to know what Israel ought to do. Uh, and then it goes on about their chiefs. And this is when David was gathering people of the tribes to him in, when he was in the wilderness. And this was the testimony of these men as they understood the times. But, and knew what to do. In other words, they had revelation from God on what the, of the world they were living in. They had an understanding of what was happening, from, not from a human, natural perspective, but from a spiritual perspective. The, in other words, they didn't tap into the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They tapped into the tree of life and got answers from God on what was supposed to be going on and what we were supposed to be doing. And see, this is what we need to be doing now. We don't need to be tapping in to the nightly news and saying, and that's going to dictate us how we feel or think. If you do that, you're tapping in to what James says is earthly, carnal, what is it? It says earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's, That's the information from here. All of it's earthly. Not all of it's sensual, but all of it has the potential to become sensual. And not all of it's demonic, but all of it has the potential to become demonic. That's, that's what James said. The, the wisdom from here. And so when we get our information there, at best it's just earthly. But he says there's another place we can get information. The wisdom from above. 
which is pure, peaceable, easy to entreat, full of good uh, fruits. And see, that's how God has designed the Christian to live in a society such as we live in. And that's what Lot didn't do. That was the example God was saying. It's like God was saying, listen, the guy was a righteous man. But look what he did. He saw and heard. That's what happened to him over and over, and eventually it destroyed him. And see, that's really what he's trying to wake us up to. Is, is not to live that way. Is make some decisions in our heart that we're going to not live that way. Are you all right? And so, you know, one of the things um, we have to do, we have to think about our children and grandchildren. Okay? Because, you know, the life that I've lived on this earth, you know, I've lived a life, and really the truth is I've lived a really blessed life, and most people my age have. We've lived a really blessed life. We've been, we've been taken care of. We've, we've not been threatened by people cutting our heads off, right? You know, we've had prosperity. We've had security. And, but there's the, our children, our grandchildren, may not have that kind of United States of America, okay? They, they really may not. There's no guarantees about this. And so what we have to do is we have to be, we have to make some choices and decisions in our life to be able to leave them something. You know what I'm saying? To get them in a position where they can, where literally our best days spiritually will be their worst days spiritually. Because they're going to, they may need to live out of the heavens, live from a renewed mind, live from the spirit realm, see into the spirit realm much greater than... They may, it may not just be an experience to be enjoyed and be blessed by like it is for a lot of people, but it may be necessary for them to stay alive. And it should, promote, it should provoke us like the Lord used Nehemiah when all the people were afraid in building the walls. He was saying, remember your wives, remember your children. Just remember them. We're fighting for them. We're not going to lay down and let this thing run over us. And so we have to get rid of religion. You know, and we have to get rid of carnal Christianity. We have, to, we have to start saying no to that. And when the Lord moves, we have to make a decision. This is our opportunity to tap into something greater instead of sitting back and watching it and judging it. See, we've got to get over that. That's why I feel like the Lord was saying this morning, it's either me or it's not me. You get to decide. But for me and my house, right, we're going to serve the Lord. If the Lord moves, we're automatically in. Even if we don't like it, we've already made that decision. It's the Lord's moving, we don't like what He's doing. We're tough. We're going to get in anyway because He'll change our hearts if we get in. He'll do something. Oh, that, that's why we were just looking at it wrong. We're sorry, Lord. We really do love this. See, when the Lord's moving on the outside, it really does look stupid and foolish. It really does. Because the, the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. So our, our minds can't get around it. Are y'all good? Yeah. So, I was just thinking about, you know, my, having, my, having opposition against my soul. I was saying about all the things that it, it does. I started listening 
things that it, it opposes. I want to try to make that more real to you. His righteous soul was tormented, seeing and hearing. So here's some things. My, my righteous soul, my desires, my godly desires are going to be opposed. My godly dreams are going to be opposed. My spiritual confidence is going to be opposed. My true identity is going to be opposed. My faith is going to be opposed. The truth, the revelational truth that God has given me is going to be opposed. My authority and anointing is going to be opposed. That's sort of scary. My ability to see, hear, touch, smell, taste in the spirit realm is going to be opposed. In essence, everything that really means anything is going to be opposed. And that's what happens when we are focused on this world and what's happening in this world. It's opposing all those things that are in us that's, that's, that's the, really the, the true riches of Christ in us. Those things are opposed. That means they're pushing against it. They're fighting against it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I hope you do because I hope I ain't the only one in this room that suffers with these things. You know? And I'll tell you something. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose my family because of bad decisions I made. I don't want my, my children and my grandchildren. I don't want that to be messed up. You know? Because I allowed myself to indulge in, in, in that world and it, and it messed them up. See, I really, I shared this dream. I'll share it again. I had a couple of weeks ago, you know, the Roundup's dream I had. I had a dream about Roundup. Just, I'll just tell you if you weren't here. And you know what Roundup is. It's, it's, bad. it's bad. You know, it could kill you. And it, I had the container, you know, that you pump in the dream. You pressurize it, and then you spray it on your weeds, you know. I had this container in the house. And I thought all the pressure was off of it. And I opened the container. And when I did, I heard it go, you know, like the pressure was being released. And I just thought it was vapor fumes. Well, it wasn't just vapor fumes. It, the Roundup puddled on the floor. This is in the dream. It puddled on the floor. It puddled in several places on the floor. And I said, oh, no, there's Roundup on the floor. And I went to trying to clean up. And about that time, the little baby in the house come crawling in there right where that roundup had been. And the Lord said, that's what really happened. It's the innocent who suffer. It's the innocent who suffer. And so we really have to think about this. We really have to ask the Lord to help us with this thing about righteousness that we not only, not only from God's perspective that we're in right relationship with Him, but we ourselves are in right relationship on our end that we say, yes, Lord, you've done something. You know, I'm going to bow to you. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to allow this thing to go on. Let me read this, James 2.23. This is about Abraham. This is about the other righteous person in the in the New Testament. It says, The Scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And listen to this. Here's the difference between him and Lot. This one thing. And he was called the friend of God. That's the difference. Lot was not called the friend of God. Lot didn't have that relationship from his perspective. 
that Abraham had. You know, I could say, well, I'm Marlon's friend, but Marlon's thinking, he's no friend of mine. You know, he's, he, he's over me, he's my leader and all that, but he's not really my friend. We don't have a friendship. He doesn't really care about me. He doesn't pursue anything with me. Or I could say that about Marlon. Well, Marlon just works for me, but I don't really want to know anything about Marlon's life other than work, and that's where it ends. See, that's, but there's a friendship that we can have with the Lord. And that's really, you know, Abraham came into a lot of blessings because of his friendship with the Lord. And he became like the father of nations and the father of faith. And, and Lot didn't get any of that. Lot was a wealthy man. Let me tell you, Lot was wealthy. He had so much herds and livestock. And Abraham had so much. They were both very rich. They, couldn't, they said the land can't support both of us. And that's why he wound up going down into the beautiful valley. And that's where Solomon and Gomorrah was. But when he left, he had nothing. He was destitute. He had two perverted daughters that messed him up more. That's all he had left. All his riches were gone. And you see, Abraham, though, became a very wealthy man and kept getting more and more wealthy and was able to, the Bible says, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, Abraham, because of the blessings that you have in Christ. And that's what friendship with God will do. And that's why I'm saying, you know, we can focus on all this stuff. We can focus on all this need. But really what we really need to do is learn how to be a friend of God, is learn and develop this communion with God where we're His friend. And He looks at us and says, that's my friend. That's somebody I talk to. That's somebody I reveal my heart to. That's really the difference. The only difference between those two men, both are righteous, but one was a friend, and his life turned out awesome. He had a few bad moments, <laughs> don't we all, right? But he got through those bad moments. Last week when Becky, I'm fixing the end. When Becky was talking, she, was, she mentioned Abraham's journey. And she was mentioning all these different journeys in the Scripture. You know, the wilderness journey, Abraham's, the bride and Song of Solomon, which are a bunch more, right? Yeah, crossing over. And I remember something the Lord told me in 2009 one day. He said, this, this phrase, he gave me this phrase out of the blue. Altars are meant to alter us. Altars, A-L-T-A-R-S, are meant to alter, A-L-T-E-R, us. And I knew he was talking about Abraham. Because Abraham built four altars. If you study Abraham's journey, that's what you're going to find. You're going to find four altars that he built. Every one of those, see, those altars altered that man. Those were moments where he had business with God. Those were moments. You go study every one of them. There's all different ones. We know the most famous one. Most of you know about Mount Moriah. That's the one everybody... You know, that's the one that tells the most, but there was, there was three. There was actually one at Bethel. You know, before Jacob showed up at Bethel and got open heaven, Abraham was already there having an open heaven. And so I realized then at that time when God was speaking to me, he was talking about friendship and relationship. That there's, there is a journey of relationship and friendship with God.
that He's called every one of us into. A lot of people never really, they'll get to that first altar and they'll immediately reject it because the first altar, really, I'll just tell you what it is, it has to do with the government of God. It has to do with bowing to God. And see, a lot of Christians, they get to that altar and they turn back. Let me just tell you where it was. It was in, I'm going to finish. I, I don't want to talk too much. It's amazing if you study it. Abraham went out, it says, didn't know where he was going. And he says he came to a particular place, okay? And it says something interesting. It says there were Canaanites in the land. And that was on purpose because it was in the promised land. But there were Canaanites there. And if you study the culture of the Canaanites, they were the most wicked, cruel, perverted people who ever lived on the face of the earth. Any, any natural historian material, they were the worst people. And so there's Abraham. He comes into his glorious inheritance. And he's, I mean, I don't know about you, but most people would have rejected it. You see, most people... You look at the Canaanites and think, this can't be God's inheritance. Or if this is God's inheritance, I don't want it. Who would want such an inheritance? And see, that's a real test for a lot of Christians. We have in our mind what we think God has for us. And we step into that place, suddenly we realize, I don't think I want this. Seriously, Lord, I'm not doing this. And that's really a, that was a test for Abraham. And the name of the place actually means shoulder. That's why it says it's about the government. And Abraham, it says, he built an altar there, which means he worshipped God. He bowed to what God was doing there. And you know what it says? It says, the Lord appeared to him. That was a, an appearance of the Lord. And that's why Abraham became this, this changed person. It's because he had these encounters with the Lord. And if you go through every one of those altars, you'll see an encounter. You'll see something that Abraham had to deal with in his life. But what it did, it drew him closer and closer to the Lord. So at the end of, end of it all, the Lord was saying, this is my friend. I'm telling him everything. I'm telling him everything. I'm not doing anything. I'm going to destroy some lands. I've got to tell him. i got to let him know what I'm doing. I'm going to reveal everything to him. He's going to know. He's a father. And that's really what God's called us to, I think. He's called us to friendship. He's not called us just to be righteous. That's awesome. But that's just the beginning. He's called us into something greater, and that is that friendship, that relationship with the Lord. Anybody getting any of this? So I'm just going to pray for you in the end, okay? Let, let Becky come back up. Lappy gave her a great thing, this young lady. Thinking, nobody's calling me a young man. <laughs> come on. <laughs> She's only a little bit younger than me. Yeah, I married a young one. Anyways. Lord, we, we're, we're looking to you this morning, Lord. And, Lord, we, Lord, you want to do something for us. You want to do something special for every person in this room because you love every person in this room and you're trying to draw them, Lord, into something. You're trying to draw them into an altering experience. I believe that's what you want to do. You want to alter us, Lord. So I just, I just pray. I just pray for that altering experience, that encounter with the presence of the Lord. 
that encounter, Lord. And Lord, even though things around us might look terrible and our inheritance may not look awesome at that moment, Lord, we bow to you today and say yes to your government because we know, Lord, there's a visitation coming. Thank you, Lord. Anybody, anybody felt convicted? Raise your hand this morning. Well, I thank you. I'm going to hold your hand up. I'm going to pray for you specifically. Lord, I just pray for the ones who've lifted their hands to you, Lord. That that was you speaking to their hearts, Father. And so, Lord, I pray that their grant their hearts would be like that good ground where there'd be a lot of fruit that would come out of their lives. And I pray, Father, that you would go deeper in these hearts, Lord, this morning. Go deeper. Speak deeper. Speak deeper, Lord. Make you know, Lord, you're looking for friends. I pray these people with their hands raised would become friends, friends of the Lord. And you would begin to reveal yourself to them in greater and greater fashion, Lord. We thank you for that today, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I was reading this morning Psalm 90. It says, um, Moses said, from gen- he says this, Thou has been our refuge from generation to generation. Isn't that good? And I've been feeling like that for a while, that the most secure things we can do for our family is really go after the Lord the most safe thing we can do is go after God and then I read this morning this is all interesting um, you know because I love Song of Solomon I'm kind of a student of it and it and I talked about it a little bit last week it's the Song of Solomon is the last day journey of the church it's the bride maturing in her love and I, I never caught this but near the end she says this is my beloved and my friend she's she's come to the point where it's not just about what she's getting from him it has become about friendship and a lot of people miss the whole thing about the intimate love with the lord because they don't really can't grasp that intimacy thing but it really is about friendship ultimately it's about friendship so amen that was good so we can get ministry team people up um that would be awesome i just feel like there's some people that need prayer this morning that you really feel like the lord has spoken to your heart and the lord has really moved among us today isn't it just amazing how his spirit is just he he's just i, I just love it so i want you to come and get prayer this morning um yeah this song just i feel like the lord is really drawing us to for more commitment to him. I really feel that. Just, you know, in the garden, Jesus, he said, Father, still. He was, he was taking steps himself in that garden where he fell and surrendered to the cross. And I think there's just moments in our life where the Lord is saying, nevertheless, Father, still. And I feel that this morning. So if you want to come and get prayer and take more steps toward him this morning, So otherwise, you can be dismissed. We love you guys. We're so thankful for you and for the household of God is just precious to us. So we're, you know, the preciousness that flows in his spirit between us. So you guys have a good day, a good week. Be blessed. Be confident in the Lord. Amen.